have your copies of God's Word, please open to 1 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 21. A little bit of panic in the room. Flip into an Old Testament passage. A little bit of excitement in the room. Now my Old Testament nerds said, what, what? Hey, I got one. That brings my total to one for the day. Um, 1 Kings chapter 21. And as you turn there, I want to ask you guys a question. Who is the worst person that you know? No, really, think about that for a second. Who is the worst person that you know? Maybe it's someone that you know. Maybe it's someone that you knew. Public figure, someone from history. Maybe your boss. As many of you guys know, or maybe you don't know, I have two bosses, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Derek, and both of them love me dearly. Right? No worries in that department at all. I love them both. And I don't think that it is too much of a stretch of the truth to say I'm the staff favorite. <laughs> it's true. But today we're going to be introduced to someone who, he, he is the worst. He is just the absolute worst. He makes my skin crawl. He makes my blood boil. He is the worst ever. We're going to be introduced to King Ahab and his interaction with Naboth's vineyard. This story is odd at first glance, right? You read through it, and, and as I was reading through it in preparation for my message this morning, I had a moment of panic, and I thought, what am I supposed to teach about Jesus from this passage? But everything in Scripture is there for a reason, and everything points to Jesus, so uh, I truly believe that God has something amazing to teach us from this passage. So the way that this is going to work this morning, just as a heads up, we're going to read parts of the story, and then I'm going to pause, and I'm going to kind of explain what's going on. And then at the end is when I'll give my points of application. So at the end, you'll fill in the blanks. So when I've been preaching for 98 minutes, and I say, hey, my first point is take a deep breath, relax. It's not that bad. My sermon is not 98 minutes for the record. I timed it, and it's 97 and a half. <laughs> so we're good in that department. I'm just kidding. Uh, but what, this story is about a king. The story is about a man who has become discontent. This is about a man who is so discontent, it leads him to disobey God. It leads him to deceit. It leads him to murder and it leads him to build his own kingdom rather than God's. And so what I want us to keep in mind this morning as we're going through this passage, what I want us to remember is that contentment is what drives godly kingdom growth. Contentment is what drives godly kingdom growth. So would you guys join me in prayer as we jump into our passage this morning? Uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word Father, and we thank you for the message that you would have for us this morning. And God, I, I pray this morning that we would set our eyes on the eternal. 
that we would set our eyes on you. Father, give me grace this morning. Help me to preach your words and help these people to hear a message from you. Open our hearts to what you would have for us. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Awesome. All right. So, 1 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 1. So let's go ahead and let's start reading through it. Now, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. So the story goes like this. Naboth, I'm sorry, Ahab, he's hanging out in his palace in his giant mansion, right? He's just chilling. And he looks out his window and he sees this vineyard and he thinks to himself, man, I could really use some more fresh produce. I really want that. And so he goes to Naboth and he generously offers. I mean, this is, this is one of the most generous offers I've ever seen in my life. He generously offers, hey, you give me that because it's close to my house. Makes sense. It's close proximity. You give me that and I'll give you something better in return or I'll give you money. I mean, who would say no to this? This is, this is super generous and it's convenient, Right. Well, not so much. It's kind of deceitful. It's kind of not totally honest. And how do we know that? Well, Ahab, not a great person. Do me a favor. Hold your thumb. In chapter 21, flip just a few chapters back to 16, verse 30. And this is where we're first introduced to Ahab. So this, this tells you everything that you need to know about him. All right. We're going we're gonna to read a little bit about Ahab. Verse 30, chapter 16 of 1 Kings. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, right there, right off the bat. The Bible lets us know he's not a good person. He's not a good king because he does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. But maybe it gets a little bit better. Maybe the Bible has something positive to say about him. More than all who were before him. Okay, that's bad. There are a lot of bad kings in the history of Israel. And the Bible's saying he's worse than all the ones who performed. Okay, let's keep reading. And it is if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the, sons, in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat. Okay, we're going to stop reading there. Because uh, this is not good for Ahab. Uh, Jeroboam was an absolute nightmare of a king. He was probably about as bad as they come. And what the Bible says is that it would have been light for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. That means that when you, when you line the two up, when you put them side by side, Jeroboam looks like a saint. That's, that's like, I mean, think about this for a second. Ahab made Darth Vader look like Mr. Rogers. All right? It's, it's not, this is not a good thing for, for Jeroboam to look like a Boy Scout next to you. And not only that, but he, he takes for himself a wife, Jezebel, who's a non-Hebrew. And that's bad in and of itself. He shouldn't have done that. And Jezebel was just awful. And we'll get to her in just a minute. But Ahab, you can, you can flip back to 1 Kings 21. Ahab was not a good dude. He did not do good things. He was not honest. He was not trustworthy. And so when he says, hey, I'll give you a better vineyard or, hey, I'll give you money, that's, that's probably not the truth. And we'll see why and how we know that. 
So why does Ahab really want this vineyard? It's, it's probably not to plant vegetables. Because the, the way that it's written in the Hebrew, the way, the way that the Bible writers wrote this, gives scholars reason to believe that when he says, give me your vineyard, he's only after himself. He's only after his possessions and his kingdom and his stuff, and he's only about me, me, me. And we'll see that in just a minute because we're going to take a look at his reaction. Verse 3, which we'll get to a little bit later. Verse 3 is Naboth saying, no, you can't have my vineyard. Take a look at verse 4. And this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. So, so funny, but also you just want to cry when, when you read this. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed, face turned away, and would eat no food. Look at his reaction. Like, are you kidding me? This dude, he's a grown man. He's a king. And he's acting like a toddler. He's, right? I just imagine he like... He, he gets turned down, he like stomps, right? He stomps into his palace and he slams the door, right, like kids do. And he like lays down and he, he like face turned away and he's, he's like pouting. He's got his pout face on and, and he's like, no, I don't want any food, right? Like my son Levi, who's, who's one, acts like that when you say no. He throws a fit. I mean, goodness gracious, this is a grown man acting like a toddler. Jeez Louise. And so Ahab, not a good dude. We know that based on this reaction, he's, he's not really into anything right. He's, he's after himself. He's after his, his things. And then to make matters worse, Jezebel, his wife, gets involved. She gets involved right here. And Jezebel, she was no Mother Teresa herself. Right? Starting uh, in verse 5. Jezebel's wife came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? So she, she notices, she's like, oh my gosh, he's pouting again, right? I, I can just imagine her thinking, oh, we've been through this before. She goes, what's the matter? And he's like, oh, you wouldn't give me my vineyard, right? That's probably what he said. And, and, then in, uh, and then in verse 7, and this is, verse 7 is where the story really starts to go downhill for Naboth. This is not good that that Jezebel gets involved. She's, she tried to kill Elijah at least once. She's had multiple run-ins with God and his people. Uh, when, when, when you read Jezebel's name in the story, you're like, this is not going to end well. So verse 7, And Jezebel's wife said to him, Now do you govern Israel? Rise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she goes, All right, why are you pouting? Hold on, I thought you were king. Start acting like it. She's, she goes, Suck it up, buttercup. I'll give you what you want. And this is, this is not the right response from Jezebel. What Jezebel's response should have been was, yeah, like, I'm sorry, but look at what God has given you. Look at this huge kingdom. He made you king, and he's given you all these things, and we should be happy with that. But instead, she's like, yeah, I'm going to provoke your greed, and I'm going to give you what your heart desires. And so this is, this is very, very bad news. For Naboth. So what she does, starting in verse 8, and, and I won't read it all for you. You guys can read through 8 through uh, 14. But basically, this is what Jezebel does. Her plan is to pose as King Ahab. Okay? So what she does is she starts sending letters, and she signs them King Ahab, and she uses the king's seal, and she sends them to the leaders of Naboth's city. And she, and she says, she poses King Ahab, proclaim a fast, and declare Naboth as the head over it, and then bring false witnesses and bring false charges against Naboth, and then have him stoned and killed. 
And so that's exactly what happened. The, these leaders, they get these letters and they're like, oh, cool, King Ahab. And they open it and they're like, all right, we got to proclaim a fast and we got to bring these false charges against Naboth and then we got to kill him. And so that's, that's exactly what happens is Naboth ends up dead in this story. So verse 15, and this, and this is how we know that Ahab is just not interested in helping Naboth. At all. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. Uh, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And then take a really close look at verse 16. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So, she goes to him, she, she has him killed, she, she gets word, she's like, all right, Naboth is dead, awesome. And then she goes to Ahab, right, he's pouting and he's throwing his fit, and she goes, hey, Naboth is dead, you can take his vineyard. And so rather than saying, oh, what, what, what happened? Did he move or did, did you guys trade or, or what's going on here? He's, he's just like, hot dog, it's mine. And, and he goes down and he takes it, asks no questions at all. Because all he cared about was getting stuff for himself. And this is, this is not how a king should act. This is not how a king should behave. So, if you would like, you can keep your thumb in 1 Kings 21. You can flip over to Deuteronomy 17, or the words will be up on the screen. And this is God, Deuteronomy 17, verses 15 through 20. And this is God giving instruction about the king. He says, this is how a king should act, and this is what a king should care about. And this is, this is the standard of a king. So let's focus on just a few verses here. Verse 16. Only he, talking about a king, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in, in, order, to, in order to acquire many horses. And it's the Lord has said to you, you shall never turn that way again. And he shall not acquire wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. Verses 18 through 20. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord, keep all the words and laws, keep these statues and do them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. And so God is very clear here. He's like, He's telling the king, don't worry about the stuff that you have. Don't acquire lots of stuff because that's not your job. Your job is to focus on the law, to read it, to do it, to obey it, and don't trample on your brothers. Don't trample on those who you lord over. Let's flip back to 1 Kings 21. And that's exactly what Ahab is doing. He's like, ooh, stuff, give me stuff. And I don't care who I step on. I don't care who gets in my way. I want this stuff. The king was supposed to be a representative. The king was not supposed to behave in this way. So let's talk about Naboth for a second. Verse 3, Naboth was the opposite of Ahab. The, the total opposite. And we don't know much about Naboth. We know that he's a Hebrew. We know that he lives in, in the region of, of Jezreel, um, and he has this vineyard, and that's really about it. But his response to Ahab tells us everything that we need to know about him, and, it, and it's so important because his, his 
response is so rich in theology. So take a look at it. The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Right? Short, sweet, to the point, simple. I love it. So what is he talking about? The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. What is he talking about? When did the Lord forbid? What inheritance? What fathers is he talking about? Well, this land that Israel owned, this land, it was so much more than just a a piece of land. It, It wasn't just a place where they lived. This land represented something spiritual to them. And it goes, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when God promises Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you land, right? He, he gave him three promises, blessing, um, children, and land. And so he says, hey, I'm going to give you land. And so Abraham takes it over, right? And, and everything is good through Genesis. And then Joseph and his family, they leave to go down to Egypt, which is bad. And, and when you're a Hebrew and you're reading that and you're like pulling your hair out, you're like, don't leave. That's the land. And then they leave. And then other people come in, right? You guys remember. And the, the whole story through Exodus and all those books is, is them in the wilderness and they're going back to the land. And then Joshua, right? They cross into the land and, and the spies and they see it's giants and they're scared, Right? You guys remember all that? And so Joshua, when you're reading the book of Joshua and you're like, oh, finally, they're, they're so close to the land and they can take it over. And then, and then they get scared and then finally, eventually they take it over and then you jump for joy and you're like, yes. And, and you party like it's 1985 or no, you, or 2015. You party like they just won the World Series, right? And you're like, yes, the land, this is it. The promise, we have it. And so what they did when they had the land is they divided up among the tribes, right? And so this, this land that Naboth owns was land that was given to him by, during Joshua's time. It was given to his father and his father, and it got passed down. And so this land wasn't just like, hey, this is where I live, and I kind of like need it. For Naboth, when he says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the hands of my fathers, what he's driving at is like, hey, this is the promised land of Abraham, This is God's promise, and this is God's will. I'm not, I'm not giving this to you because this isn't just land. This is something spiritual. And for the Israelites, when they, when they finally took it, it was their chance to proclaim the glory of God to the nations and grow God's people. And, and it was literally viewed as the kingdom of God. They, it was God's kingdom. And they're like, this is ours. And so Naboth is focused on God's kingdom and God's promises and God's will, right? And, and even in Leviticus 25, 23, God says, hey, this land belongs to me and, and, and you shouldn't sell it. And so for Ahab to even ask, say, hey, can I buy that from you was a violation of the law. So Ahab was wrong just, I mean, even from the beginning. But when we read the story, it's really easy to see the good guys and the bad guys, right? The Bible does a really good job of painting this picture. Ahab bad, Naboth good, right? But what we have to ask ourselves when we read this is what, what kingdom are you building? See, this, goes beyond, this isn't just murder and, and taking someone's land. This is a heart issue. This is... A self-centered, corrupted heart that only cares about itself. And so the, the question that shouldn't be asked 
when you, when you read this is, have I ever murdered someone and taken their vineyard, which probably has not happened in this room. But the question that you need to ask yourself is, whose kingdom am I trying to build? What does my heart reveal about where my treasures are? What do I care about? Where are my priorities and what do I value? Am I content with what I have so that I can build God's kingdom? And when is what I have enough? So how does God view these things? Well, God does not view them in a positive light. Verses 17 through 24, I won't read, but I'll just kind of summarize. God tells Elijah, hey, you need to go and you need to confront Ahab, which is interesting that God confronts Ahab instead of Jezebel, doesn't it? Um, But he confronts Ahab and Ahab repents and it's a super temporary happy ending until Ahab dies and dogs lick up his blood. (laughs) But... How does God really view it? Well, do me a favor. Flip over to Luke chapter 12. And, and you guys can leave 1 Kings. We won't, we won't come back to 1 Kings. Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 13 through 21. And this is the parable of the rich young fool, uh, which you guys may be familiar with. You may not be. Um, and we'll get into it. But this parable about the rich young fool and the story of Ahab are similar Um, And I'll I'll talk about that in in just a minute. But verse 16, this is the first line of the parable that Jesus told. And and this this sets the stage, and this lets you know exactly what's coming. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. So, boom, right off the bat, Jesus lets us know, hey, this guy had everything that he needed. He didn't need more. He had everything. It was enough. His land produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what should I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He's like, oh, I have so much. I need more. I need to store more and I need to build up more for myself. And so what he does is he tears down his barns and he builds larger ones so that he can store more stuff, right? He's building his possessions. And then he sits back after he's finished and he's like, ah, look at what I did. This is awesome. Look at all this stuff that I have. And then God says to him in verse 20, he says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself that is not rich toward God. And so he's like, God confronts him, and he's like, okay, cool, good job, I guess. You have stuff, but what about your spiritual stuff? Where are your spiritual treasures? said, the, the things that you've built, that's, that's great and all. They're going to be someone else's now. So what do you have to show for your life? What have you done? So the issue with this rich young fool and the issue with Ahab, it wasn't so much the things that they had. That's not the focus here. The issue was a corrupt heart and not being content with what God has given them. And it drove them to not build God's kingdom, but to build their own. So what do we learn from this story? What do we learn from this parable? And what do we learn from Ahab and the vineyard? Our three points of application for you. Verse one, a kingdom mindset leads to contentment. A kingdom mindset leads to contentment. 
So what the Bible wants us to know is that when you're focused on God, when you're focused on the eternal and the spiritual, when you see the value in acquiring heavenly treasures and building God's kingdom, when you're satisfied with what God has given you, it'll drive you to build God's kingdom and not your own. All right, Philippians 4.13, one of the most misused verses in the entire Bible. Every athlete knows it. They write it on their cleats and their eye black, right? They get tattoos of it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what, what Paul is talking about in this verse and what he says just a few verses before in verse 10 is that this is about contentment. It's about having less. This isn't about following Jesus and becoming a better basketball player, right? I learned that the hard way. But this, this is about being content and having less and finding everything that you need in Jesus, Knowing that the focus of your life, the, the things that you have, where your children go to school, where you work, the, the neighbors that are placed around you, the th- everything is not about you. In fact, nothing is about you. Everything is about Jesus. And we, when we take the focus off of ourselves and place it on God's kingdom, we're able to grow that and we're able to invest in something that's eternal. Second, an earthly mindset leads to discontentment. Again, when we focus on ourselves, when, when we start wondering, well, why don't I have this? And, and why don't I have that? And why did my neighbor get this? And we start to say, well, if I just get this, then my situation will change and I'll be happy. But will it? When is enough? Right? And discontentment says to God, hey, you got it wrong. I should, have, I should have had this, right? I was, I was driving around uh, yesterday or Friday or whenever it was, and I saw a Lamborghini filling up at a Phillips 66, and I just, for a moment, I thought, man, that'd be kind of cool, right? And, and, and we're driving around, and we see someone with a giant pool, like, oh, man, that would be really sweet, right? And, and you say to yourself, well, if I just get that, if I, if I just get this new job and I get paid a little bit more, then, then I'll be happy. But will you really? When is enough? Which leads me to my third, my third point. True contentment is found in the king. As Paul wrote, being content is something that's learned. Being content is something that's found only in Jesus. And when we are totally and completely satisfied in Jesus, that's when we start to take the focus off of us and put the focus on him. Everything that we've ever needed, everything that we've ever wanted is found solely in Jesus, and it's the only thing that's going to last. The stuff that you have, the possessions, the, the pool, whatever, it's, it's going to fade, it's going to break, it's going to rust, robbers are going to get to it, moths, whatever. The only thing that lasts and the only thing that's guaranteed to pass the true test of time is God, his word, and his kingdom. And they're the only things that are worth valuing. So contentment is what drives godly kingdom growth. We need to focus on what's eternal. And this, is, and this story, when we really think about it, this isn't just a story about good versus evil, but this is a battle of worldviews that we're faced with every single day from the moment we wake up. Eternal versus temporary. Contentment versus discontentment. And the drive to build God's kingdom comes from Jesus and only Jesus. So without a relationship, we will never be totally and completely satisfied with anything. And if we're honest with ourselves, our heart, apart from Jesus, looks exactly like Ahab's. So the solution is a new heart. 
a heart that comes from Jesus. Jesus, who is God himself, who, who put on flesh, who came to earth, lived a life in perfect obedience, never sinned, who died death on, on the cross that we should have had, who took our place to restore us to the Father. And Jesus is offering that to you right here and right now. So you can take care of that right where you are. You can cry out to God, say, God, forgive me, God, save me. All right, we'll have Pastor Jonathan up here. We'll have elders up here. If you, if you want someone to pray with you, if you want to ask questions, whatever it may be, they're here for you. And if you are watching online, you can send prayer requests. You can send questions uh, to just ask at bluevalleybaptist.org. Uh, church, would you join me in prayer?